What's up, Batty Bees? I'm Brianna, mom, wife, serial entrepreneur, and host of the Badass Basic Bitch podcast. Each week, I sit down with a seemingly ordinary woman who's doing extraordinary things, and I get to share her story with you. So let's go. Buckle up as we're going to get real and dive into the shit nobody talks about. Welcome to the Batty Bee Club. I laughed when my doctor called me and he was like, you know, are you sitting down? And I'm like, just fucking tell me, what is it? And he's like, I'm so sorry, you have breast cancer. And I just started cracking up. And he's like, I could tell he was like looking at the phone. Like, did she just have a mental breakdown? Yes, I'm like, sir, I, did. I fucking told you. I told you this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. And now I got to fucking deal with this. Welcome back to another episode of Badass Basic Bitch. On today's episode, we have with us Rory Zura, who is a breast cancer survivor, personal coach, and founder of Foobs and Fitness. Today, we're going to be hearing all about Rory's journey and how her personal experiences with breast cancer brought her to where she is today, which is educating and empowering those affected by cancer on how to live a more active lifestyle before, during, and after diagnosis. Rory, thank you so much for being here with me today. Day. Yay! Thank you for having me. And I feel like what you do, it can be relatable to anybody because of the fitness and the lifestyle. So if you're listening in and you're not ha- you're not fighting cancer, you're not battling cancer, like still listen in because there's gonna be so many amazing points that you can take home with you as well. So Rory, why don't you give our listeners a little bit more information about what it is you do and who you are? So I'm 35 years old. I actually lost my job as a graphic designer um, at the height of the COVID pandemic. And then just a few weeks later, I got another punch to the gut being diagnosed with breast cancer. So I had an opportunity uh, at my fingertips to either try and find a new job while undergoing treatment, or really take a moment and focus on myself, which I've never, ever done ever before. I've always worked two, three, four jobs at once. Um, and I feel like that happened because I needed to slow down. Um, so I took time for myself. And when I met with my oncologist, I asked him, you know, I'm an athlete. I work out all the time. I play soccer. Am I, am I still going to be able to do all of this? And he said, yes, there, there are clinical trials that actually show um, how fitness and staying active minimizes treatment side effects, reoccurrence, and, and all this good stuff. So, you know, you do it safely, but yes, you know, I encourage it. So I was like, cool. So I went through treatment and had a lot of setbacks, but pivoted. Being an athlete, I kind of could understand like what my body was capable of. Um, and I did a lot of freelancing on the side. So still doing graphics, designing, um, helping my old coworkers who ended up losing their jobs. So just being able to like have fun while going through treatment. Um, and I spent a lot of time with my husband and my two French bulldogs, which I give a ton of credit to getting me through treatment um, because it's it's pretty hard doing it while you're in a pandemic and you're not allowed to see anyone. So they were my lifesavers. Yeah, that's 
crazy. So what, what was the cancer diagnosis that you received? So I had triple negative breast cancer. And what does that mean for all of us that don't know what that means? <laughs> Doesn't know what that means. So you would think like triple negative, like, yeah, negative. Like that's probably good, right? Nope. It's actually one of the more aggressive forms of breast cancer. Um, so basically what happens with tumors, tumors have these things called receptors. They are hormone driven usually, and they feed off of your body. So the three receptors that are on breast cancer tumors are estrogen, progesterone, and HER2 hormone. When you don't have any receptors on these tumors, you're classified as triple negative because you don't have any of the tumors. When someone who is hormone positive, they may be estrogen receptors and that the estrogen is what's feeding that tumor. Or you could be triple positive and have estrogen, progesterone, and HER2 all fueling that tumor. So you have kind of like the the spectrum of different sub-cancer types. So I like to tell people like breast cancer is the umbrella term. Mm-hmm. And then you have all sub-terms underneath it that kind of get into the nitty-gritty, which tell the oncologist how this tumor behaves and acts and how it'll respond to certain treatments. Okay, that's so fascinating. I didn't know any of that. So thanks for sharing that. <laughs> I've heard of like ER plus. I had someone on the podcast that had ER plus breast cancer and she explained what that was, but I didn't realize that there were so many variations and terms that went along with this. Me, I've never experienced cancer. I'm very fortunate. I've never had anyone in my life or close proximity to me have cancer. And so I know nothing about it. And it is a whole like world of its own, especially breast cancer. I always thought like, oh, breast cancer, it's the same thing for everybody. And it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's very different. And now even, so I was done with treatment entirely. So I finished November, Thanksgiving weekend of last year. So I'm not even a year out from treatment, but from the time that I finished in November, 2021 till now, there is a whole new array of treatment that was not available to me during my own diagnosis. Wow. Only within a year, things have changed and evolved in a positive way. That's amazing. Evolving is so much more. There's different classifications now. So like people who are HER2 positive, now it's there's no such thing as positive. It's either low, medium, or high, because like it, there's like new information about this this part of the receptor. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> when, like what month and year were you diagnosed? Did you find out? So I was diagnosed August 17th, 2020, which wow. was the day before my wedding anniversary. Wow. Right before your wedding, your two year, right? That's what I was, yep. um, I remember you saying. So in the middle of COVID, man, I always actually wondered that, like for the people that had to get major surgery, for the people who are diagnosed with cancer and had to go through chemo, like what was that like during COVID? Petrifying. Yeah. Absolutely petrifying. I've always had breast cancer and various different types of cancer in my family. Yeah. My husband is actually a testicular cancer survivor. And I saw him and my mom firsthand go through treatment. So I'm sitting there in the middle of a pandemic and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to do all of this by myself. Yeah. Cause you can't have anyone in there. Right. I could imagine. I 
have any there. They couldn't come into the hospital with me. Wow. So all my major milestones, you know, starting treatment, did it by myself. Finished treatment, did it by myself. My double mastectomy, did it by myself. Wow. Like he was able to sit with me right beforehand, but he wasn't allowed to be with me when I woke up. And that is scary. They, they just chopped my boobs off and I'm awake in this hospital in excruciating pain and I'm by myself. Oh, that's so that sad. That is the scariest thing that I have ever experienced in my entire life. Luckily, I, I'm very grateful that because we are in this sort of pandemic that I had time with my medical team because nobody else was around to, to distract. And like, you know, when, when families come in, they're like, oh, I need this, I need this. Like, it was just me and my team. So I felt okay, but I really would have liked to have like someone hold my hand when I woke up, just like little things. There's a totally different between like medical support and then community support where community is like your loved ones, the people that feed you ice chips and rub your back and hold your hand. Like there's- bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) I could only imagine um, how stressful that is, number one. And then number two, at that time in August 2020, there's still so much unknown about COVID. And I don't believe vaccines were out by then because that happened like later. Like my whole IV chemo I did from, actually tomorrow is my two-year chemo anniversary from when I started. Wow. Um, This is ironic, but, you know, for from now until January 6th, which was my last day, I think, the 6th, somewhere around there, I was by myself, you know, wondering who, looking at people like, oh my God, are you going to give me COVID? Right. Even the doctors. like. Yeah. Like, I don't know where you've been and I don't know what you're doing. It's just this stress that's on you. And it didn't help either. My husband's a a frontline worker. So he's going into work every day. And I'm just like, you know, we're being smart and we're being safe, but you you can never be too safe. And it was was a lot more stressful. But I also feel like on the opposite end of it, it was actually amazing because... Like when my mom and my husband were going through chemo, this was there wasn't a global pandemic. So they're stuck in these hospitals watching everybody else go to work, go on vacations, go do this, go do that. I didn't oh, have that. Never I didn't have thought to of that. Instagram and be like, oh, James. There's no FOMO. <laughs> there's nothing. So I'm like, yeah, everyone's in this with me together. We're in it. We're fighting. Da, like da, da, the da. world kind of stopped with you, which that's such a great perception because, yeah, typically I would assume that when you go through something like that, you look around and the world just keeps going. But at the same time, the world had a pause, put a pause on all of their plans the same time you did. Yep. So like everybody's miserable. Everybody's getting <laughs> their little like cabin fever and I'm like me too <laughs> I can't wait to get done with this so I can go to on vacation and everyone else is like me too yeah wow so that's something that I, I try to like I don't allow myself to not feel the negative feelings of course they're real and you should I just like to think about it like well I mean everybody's in this with me or it could be worse or this and that. And I try to try to find that silver lining, which made it a little bit easier to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. I like that perception of that. So in terms of, actually, I'm always curious whenever I 
get the honor to interview someone on the podcast who's talking about cancer just because it's so unknown to me and I just don't know. Like, were there signs and symptoms? Would you find a lump? Like, how did you know that you should have gone to the doctor and see if there's something serious there? So I've been getting mammograms since 2016. Why? Because usually they say don't get them until you're 40. Yeah. So I, I did find a lump in 2016. Okay. Um, and it freaked out because my cousin had like just dealt with her mom that was going through it. Um, so it was fresh. So I went to my gynecologist, not thinking anything. And he was like, you know, we have, you know, family history. Let's, let's send you for a mammogram. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I went through the motions and mammogram just showed that it was a cyst but they couldn't really see. So they sent me for an ultrasound, which then confirmed it was a cyst. So when we got the results back, my doctor was like, you know, you just have dense cystic breasts. And I'm like, okay, what are we going to do about this? Because I don't want to go through chemo. I don't want to get cancer. Can I get a preventative mastectomy? But I didn't meet the criteria that my insurance would have allowed for them to cover the procedure. Because I don't have any genetic mutations. I was young. I was an athlete. I was healthy, all this nonsense. So he said, you're a healthy person. I'm not concerned about you. You're not overweight. You're not doing things that are putting yourself in jeopardy. You're going to be fine. Like, excuse me, like, excuse me, sir. I am so happy that you're not concerned about me, but I'm concerned about me. And that's more important. (laughs) I was really young too. I was in my twenties when this happened. So I'm just like, okay, you know, yeah. They know best, my doctor. Yeah, you don't really find your medical voice until you're like in your early 30s. I totally did not find my medical voice until probably like my second child that I had. And all of a sudden I was like, fuck everyone else. Like, I'm a mom now. I got to take care of myself. <laughs> and, that's, and that's crazy that we have to think like that because yeah. it's you're, you're the medical personnel. You're supposed to know what's best for us and guide us. Eventually it should be our decision, not yours. And if I would have known what I know now, I would have found a loophole or something because there's always a loophole, but I didn't know any better. So I just went on my merry way and, you know, I'd find a lump and my period would come and go and the lump would go away because when you get cystic breasts, they usually come and go with your hormone cycle. So in the pandemic, it happened again. I got you know, a lump and I freaked out. And my husband was like, aren't you getting your period soon? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. And it's also crucial. Like if you have a partner, they know your body as well. Right. And also you get your period every month. So it's like, you're always, almost always getting your period. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay, this is pretty big and you know, whatever. So when it didn't go away after my period got done, that's when I was like, fuck. <laughs> I'm like, this is not good. And so then I started freaking out because I didn't know if I'd be able to get into the doctor. They weren't allowing people to see anyone. So luckily my doctor got me in. He he was very good. And he sent me for my mammogram, you know, tried to calm me down. And then when I knew something was wrong was when they said I had to go for a biopsy. Yeah. And I was like, shit, I've never done a biopsy before. So I just tried to keep my calm, but you know, I laughed when my doctor called me and he was like, you know, are you sitting down? And I'm like, just fucking tell me, what is it? And he's like, I'm so sorry, you have breast cancer. And I just start cracking up. 
And he's like, I could tell he was like looking at the phone. Like, does she just have a mental breakdown? Yes, I'm like, sir, I, did. <laughs> I fucking told you. I told you this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. And now I got to fucking deal with this. Great. So, but I do truly believe that I was actually meant to get cancer. And this was my path because I'm such a bitch when it comes to getting my way. And if I had not been so advocate on, my self-exams and mammograms as I was younger, I wouldn't have known. And it probably would have just been like, well, I'm in a pandemic. It's probably just nothing. I'll just leave it alone. But I was very vigilant on it. And now that I've gone through the process of this, I can help other people. And that's what I thrive on is being able to help other people get through their chaos because I have OCD and I need to plan and this and that. And if I can be there for other people during this time, then that's what gives me purpose in life. And so now you have foobs and fitness. And before we get into like what that is, out of curiosity, you were talking about that you were very fit and athletic uh, throughout your life. So what role did fitness play like before your cancer and then How did your relationship with fitness change after your diagnosis and throughout your treatment? So I was an Orange Theory enthusiast. Um, I was actually a a sales associate for one of the fitness studios here. And I played soccer all my life. So I was in the gym. If I wasn't in the gym, I was in Orange Theory. If I wasn't in Orange Theory, I was in soccer. You know, six, seven days a week, I was doing something active. My husband and I love going ziplining. We like doing off the beaten path kind of things. So it was always a part of me. My mom as a baby used to tell me like all the time that I learned how to run before I could walk. Um, Like she would try and I used to live in Brooklyn as a baby. So she would like try and run down the street, like trying to grab me and then like try to walk with me. And I would just like keep falling. So that's like the running joke of my family is like, I don't know how to stop. So when I got diagnosed, you know, obviously people know, the, the epitome of cancer patients. They're, they're tired. They don't have any hair. They're sick. They're nauseous. They can't keep food down. But I didn't really experience any of that. You know, in the very beginning, my first dose was rough. It, was, it definitely gave me a kick of reality to say like, this, this is real. This is happening. You need to get your shit together. So, you know, I went and did what I needed to do. I changed my endurance training to strength training because I was able to lift heavier than I'd ever lifted before. But if I would try and even just walk up the stairs, I'd be out of breath. So being able to understand what I was capable of really helped in the in a gym setting. But then as treatment started to progress, chemo is cumulative. So it builds up on itself, basically. So by the time I was almost done with treatment, like I was so tired and battling chemo fatigue is a serious job. So I had to retrain my mind to say, you know, Rory, I don't feel like getting out of bed today, but if I can just get up and take a shower, I can go lay on the couch and then get up and get some water. And then I would do laps around my house and I would take the dogs for a walk. So that became my exercise when I wasn't able to actually physically get down to my gym. So retraining that whole sense of what I guess like marketing has 
thralled upon us that you need to be lifting heavy, running far, running fast. That doesn't apply to a cancer patient. It doesn't even apply to any person that's battling a disease. That mindset needs to be completely changed when your your body is fighting itself. Yeah. And so what is foobs and fitness? <laughs> I mean, I know what it is, but tell our listeners what it no. is. <laughs> <laughs> People always ask me, what are foobs? Foobs in the breast cancer community are when somebody has a mastectomy or a partial mastectomy, which is a lumpectomy. They lose a part of themselves that they were born with. So in essence, they are fake boobs. So foobs are fake boobs. So a lot of people ask me, well, does that just apply to you know reconstruction? What if I had a deep flap or implants or silicone or this and that? And I'm like, if you have ever gone under a surgery where you've had a part of your chest tampered with, to me, you're a foob because I'm proud to be a foob. I am so proud that I've had to endure this that's both physical and mental, more so mental half the time. I'm proud that I had to go through an amputation. I'm proud that I had to surgically remove this little piece of shit from my body so I could be alive. And then fitness is obviously how to remain active during this part of our lives. Because once you receive a cancer diagnosis, and you can pretty much ask anyone, is you basically die. You die inside the person that you've known for however many years before your diagnosis is no longer here. They're they're in there somewhere, but a different person comes out of the other end of a cancer battle. I'm sure. Yeah. And so what what do you do at Foobs and Fitness? Like what do you offer the community? So I'm very much a part of advocacy. So my social media is consumed with ensuring people are armed with the knowledge that they need to get through every stage of your battle. I have a lot of people that message me questions. If I don't know the answer, I'm able to kind of put them in touch with other people that do. And then I do personal training for my clients. So the sky is the limit now that COVID has kind of implemented this virtual reality to us. And I do feel like my patients are better in that setting because they are immunocompromised. They don't want to be going to a gym. They don't want to be going out. You know, COVID is still very real for some people and being immunocompromised, that's a major concern. So being able to keep my clients safe and moving is my goal. Got it. And so is it just like, like what, what's the recommendation there? Is it everything is just customized and personalized to each person? Because I would, I would think that everyone's journey and body and everything is extremely different. Yep. Um, people ask me that all the time because I currently don't offer group classes and there's a reason for that. Yeah. And it is because for women specifically, because that's the, the major demographic that are my clients. Women are very competitive and we like to kind of gauge ourselves based on other people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to a diagnosis, a surgery, treatment, things like that, you can't compare where you are to someone else. So I don't want to have these classes that may have someone who's right out of treatment versus someone who has been out of treatment for 10 years or somebody who's just recovering from a surgery or someone who has never had a surgery yet. So 
when it comes to keeping patients safe, it's making sure that you're there with them, changing things on the fly and making sure that it's custom to them. So I spend a lot of time making sure that I meet all of my clients. We go over their medical history. They have to get medical clearance from either their oncologist or their surgeon, whoever they saw last, to make sure that they're capable of doing physical activity. I do work hand in hand with personal uh, physical therapists and oncologists to make sure that everybody knows, you know, Jane Smith is safe. <laughs> yeah. And so what we we kind of talked about this earlier on advocating for your body when going through any kind of medical stuff. It doesn't matter. It literally could be giving birth. It could be going through cancer. What are some tips or reminders, especially for women, on how to advocate for themselves? The first and foremost is to remain calm. You know, women are almost always perceived as hysterical and very emotional. And although that may be true, (laughs) because we can be, but it's all because of good intentions. We know our bodies. You know, we have a woman's instinct and it's usually never wrong. So when a doctor is telling you something and it just doesn't seem right, ask questions. I always tell my friends, my patients, my clients, people on social media, if you're going to the doctor's appointment, you should either be recording your doctor's appointment so you can listen to it later, have someone with you, or both. That's ideal to have both because when you're going to see a doctor, whether it's for pregnancy, heart, cancer, general, you know, whatever the annual physical, you don't know medical terms. You don't know anything as far as medicine. So whatever these doctors are telling you, even if they say it to you in the most basic form, it's overwhelming just being in that setting. It's like going to the dentist. We don't want to do it. So if we can have someone there with us and record the appointment, you can go back after and be like, wait, what did he mean by that? I don't understand what she said. Did you, did you hear that? And then you can kind of go back and you can maybe email your doctor later on and, and have an open line of communication. Almost all hospitals now have portals, which is really easy to communicate with doctors now because now you can talk to the nurse practitioner, you can talk to the receptionist and it's, It's an easier way for us to be in communication with them. And everyone's going to have questions. You're not the first person that's going to ask this doctor this question. He's probably heard it for the millionth time today, (laughs) but it's your first. So ask it. Don't be afraid. I like the suggestion of recording. You probably have to make sure your doctor knows you're recording. But I like that suggestion because... I totally could benefit from that. I've gone to a lot of doctor's appointments where the doctor is just like talking super fast and I'm like trying to listen and they're saying all these medical things. And I'm like, yeah. And then I get home. My husband's like, so what did they say? And I'm like, I don't know. They said I have blah, blah, da, 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 this. And he's like, what, what, what is that? What does that even mean? I was like, oh, maybe it was like, and he's like, what? And I'm like, I don't know. I honestly have no idea what I have. <laughs> he's like, why did you write I'll, it I'll down? It's something with an is at the end. <laughs> he's like, you're terrible. Go email your doctor and ask them exactly what you have or like go on your portal and, and look at it. That's such a good point. And that's so true for, for anything. Um, 
I like that. So when whether people get a diagnosis of cancer or another surgery that they have to do or they're going through some kind of medical treatment or trauma, what have you, um, I think fitness, to your point, can be really important. What are the benefits of exercise when you're going through these things? So the key is your heart, obviously. You're conditioning your heart but you're also reducing your comorbidities. So the key thing that people are finding is your comorbidities are like obesity, for example. And obesity is the cause for a lot of diseases. So you need to make sure that you're moving. It's not necessarily all about nutrition and it's not necessarily all about fitness. They both work interchangeably. They work hand in hand with one another. I'm not a nutritionist, so I can't talk to that point. But fitness makes a difference in your health physically and mentally. It reduces your stress and it places good stress on your body. So there's two different kinds of stressors. We don't want the bad stress where you're like ripping your hair out and going crazy. You want the good stress on your body that helps your metabolism. It helps your memory. It helps your cardiovascular system. There's so many pluses to being active. And I try my best to use the term active versus exercise because I feel like when it comes to hearing the term exercise, people who are not active automatically shut down. They don't want to exercise. They don't want to work out. They don't want to be that person. That's not for them. And that's fine. You can still be a gamer and, you know, sitting on the computer doing what you got to do, but Make sure you're getting up and walking around. If you can, you know, maybe go for a walk on your lunch break or when you get home from work, go for like a nice little stroll around the neighborhood. Something little to help offset the amount of time that you spent being sedentary. So I like to tell people who are going through a cancer diagnosis, you know, how many of you think doing the dishes counts as cardio? And everyone's like, no. And I'm like, I guarantee you, if you are in treatment and you were to do household chores, you would feel like you ran a marathon. And it is because your body is in fight or flight mode. There's so much stress going on in your body that the littlest activity is going to make you feel like you're actually working out. Yeah. And I know you're not a nutritionist, but what about relationship with food during these medical traumas and transitions? So for cancer patients, it's pretty difficult. I just actually had this conversation with someone who just got diagnosed. Obviously, you want to be focused on your nutrition during chemo. But many people can't eat and can't keep down nutritious foods. So when you do talk to, like I did go talk to a nutritionist while I was going through chemo. And I was like, look, you know, I was keto for two years before I got diagnosed you know, am I still allowed to, to do keto while I'm on it? And she goes, no, it's too restrictive. I don't want you on keto. I'd rather you eat a well-balanced diet because of X, Y, and Z. And I said, okay, you're, you're the boss. This is your realm. And that makes sense. So I'm going to follow. But I could not keep down lettuce. I couldn't keep down chicken. Like it just turned me off. I didn't want anything to do with it. But if you gave me some New York Long Island bagels, I was housing that shit, keeping all of them down. It phenomenal. 
Yeah, they're magical. Like New York bagels are magical. They have magic in them. They literally are made with magic. I don't know what they put in them. I have a theory. I have a theory. It's a terrible theory. I'm I'm a New Yorker as well. My theory, (laughs) people are going to be so disgusted by this. My theory is that they, you know, what water do they use to make the bagels? And we all know what water they use. And so because of all of the mafia throwing people (laughs) over the bridges and into the water, there's like some kind of weird, gross, just magical substance that happens to make it so good. I'm going to assume yes. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. I know it's awful and disgusting, but like no other places can make pizza dough, bagels. Come on. They just, you can't do it. And the only difference is the water. So yeah, that's my theory. And like, it goes back to like, whatever you can eat, you know, obviously protein intake during chemotherapy, during activity is crucial because that's what helps rebuild our cells. So I I did try and I would get like those protein shakes, like Ensure is like Mm -hmm. a really just sugar intake is what you want to keep minimal during chemo treatment um, because you're going to gain a lot of excess weight because you're not moving as much. And I also smoked a ton of weed. So that helped keep everything down. It didn't change my taste buds though. So like my husband and I would make dinner and I'd be like, oh, I really want like chicken Parmesan. And he would make it and then it would get in front of me and I'm like, don't kill me, but I really don't want <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you smoked weed during your cancer treatments. Why didn't you do like edibles or something? I don't know much about weed. So it's like, is it different when you smoke it and when you eat it? I did do some edibles. So like at night I would eat an edible so I could go to sleep. Um, but I have like really bad reactions to weed. So I have to like kind of like make my own concoction. So there's different strands of THC, there's uppers and downers. So I had to like take some CBD and some THC and like mix them together. Like my husband would come home and he'd see me on like the kitchen counter, just like mixing all of this weed. And he's just like, Wait, what's the difference between CBD and THC? Is, is that one's a downer, one's an upper? No. So THC is the component that gets you high. Like you feel high. Okay. CBD has more medicinal purposes to it, like anti-anxiety. And that's why it's in like the oil stuff for, and sometimes Mm -hmm. like kids with ADHD use it, for example. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So THC is, is the illegal quote unquote component right now. It has a ton of medicinal purposes for it, which is why you can get a medical marijuana card primarily like for cancer patients, it helps us eat and it helps us sleep. Mm, So I was smoking all of that during my treatment and then was eating edibles at night. So that too also really helped. And I really wish that it would become more of a standard too. I wish fitness. (laughs) Fitness and and smoking weed. (laughs) What an educational episode for everybody. <laughs> I'm not a weed connoisseur by any means. <laughs> I mean, beats me. I, I tried it one time. I tried an edible one time when I was in Seattle um, and I've never tried it again. So yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> so I don't know anything. I feel like you either love it or you hate it. It's like one of the two. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah, I would agree with that. Because I know I have friends that's like, it's their daily routine, like every night, like to go to bed, they just do that. And I'm like, I sleep just fine. I don't need that. 
Nope. But anyway, okay. So I, I like what you're saying. It's like you, you kind of have to figure out what works for you. But obviously yes. consult your doctor because, again, every person's experience and journey is going to be different and it's going to need to be customized when you're going through something like this. So Sometimes they even say no. So there's different... Every, this is not to be taken as medical advice, anything that I say on here. This is just my journey. But even me, like I went to my doctor with certain supplements that I had been taking for years. And he flat out told me, no, you're not allowed to take that. It will interact with your chemotherapy. You're not allowed to take it. And I'm like, interesting. Tell me more. So there are certain things like Hmm. fun fact, you cannot eat grapefruit if you're on chemotherapy. Really? I never knew that. So I'm like, good thing I hate grapefruit, but sure. That's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I love grapefruit, (laughs) but like with powdered sugar on it. Like I like grapefruit with powdered sugar on it. Or in a mixed drink. But that's crazy. Yeah. I never like, I, and I hope there's like a rundown of things that you can and cannot eat and cannot do. Cause like, what happens if someone just loves grapefruit and like no one's ever telling them, like, you can't eat grapefruit? There's usually a packet that they give you. And I mean, it's like an inch thick. Yeah. Like, here's some light reading. It. Yeah. It's like, oh, light reading. Cool. I just got told I have cancer and you want me to read? Like, what? <laughs> read this. Gi- I'm going to waste 10 hours of my life reading this giant thing. Um, is it in an audible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can, we, can I just have this on a podcast, please? Yeah. Can we make a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so what is the future for foods and fitness? So the future of foods and fitness is intense. So I'm going in full steam right now, and it's pretty overwhelming. But I want to eventually make it to a point that insurance companies recognize that Starting from from the top for for people who are going through a diagnosis that movement should be qualified as medicine and therefore covered by insurance. Absolutely. Eventually, we should get to a point where that's just human nature and it should just be covered because it's proactive. But we're not there yet. So baby steps with them. Right now, I'm actually helping volunteer for the Lymphedema Treatment Act because women who go through a mastectomy, a lumpectomy, they get um, lymph nodes removed to test to see if the tumor has spread beyond the breast. Once those lymph nodes are taken out, you have a higher risk of getting what's called lymphedema. And then if you go through radiation and all this other stuff, your risk just goes higher. So unfortunately, insurances don't all cover like compression sleeves that are needed to help counteract lymphedema. You have to pay for these things out of pocket. So it can be expensive because you have to buy new ones every three, four months because they stretch out. They have pumps for later stage lymphedema that are also not covered sometimes. So that's the first step is making sure that something as necessary as a sleeve is covered for patients like us. Um, and this goes for breast cancer patients, you know, head and neck cancer, like whoever gets lymph nodes taken out, they are at risk for developing lymphedema. Our bodies don't know how to kind of flow with the fluid because we're missing that component to help. Um, so once I get that out of the uh, politics pocket and hopefully signed into action, then my next step is to hopefully tackle this insurance company for fitness. 
Um, And then I'm also going back to school because I haven't had enough um, (laughs) to become a massage therapist so I can help people with scar tissue Mm. and massage and help get that muscles nice and loose. So I'll have both massage therapy and strength training to help create this harmonic balance for people who are going through treatment. Well, that's amazing. Well, Rory, you are one badass basic bitch. And something that I ask everybody that's on the podcast is, if you could have anyone listening get one piece of advice from today's episode, what would it be? You are the CEO of your body. I have that as my mantra. I say it all the time. When it comes to work, personal life, medical, you are the only person that is going to live this life. The people who you gather around you may know better, but only you have to live with the consequences and you have to live with the decisions. So you need to act like the CEO of your life and take control. That's great advice. And Rory, where can everyone find you? So I'm on social media. You can find me Instagram, Facebook, TikTok for some stupid dances. (laughs) I love stupid dances. Yes. Lots of parody on how much I hate the healthcare system. Um, (laughs) But it's foods and fitness. So F-O-O-B-S and fitness. Um, I do have a YouTube channel. You can search me on YouTube. I talk about Fake, Fit, and Fabulous, which is the mission statement of foods and fitness, which goes over fake being breast cancer awareness, fit, fitness, and fabulous is the mental health component to undergoing a diagnosis. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. This is amazing. As always, thank you for listening. Check us out on Instagram at Badass Basic Bitch. And thank you to Saw and Sign, our production studio. We'll see you next week. <laughs>